Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning, for the gathering of the church. We have come together, O oh Lord, as blood bought community of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are no ordinary people. We are the children of the living God, bought by the blood of Christ, sealed with the Holy Spirit, heir of the kingdom of God. And we thank you that you have kept us in this world to be your light and to be a blessing to the lost people and also to be an encouragement in our walk together towards our eternal home. Lord, we pray this morning that you speak to our hearts as we often grow weary and tired and weak and we need you. We need your word to revive us so that we would live the way that you want us to live. Give us, O Lord, that humble, contrite, and trembling spirit at your word, so that we would listen to your voice through the exposition of your word, and be convicted, be broken, be transformed, be conformed to the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, have mercy on us, and speak to us. Speak to me, O Lord, even as I preach. You speak to my own soul, and speak to us, everyone here. May your name be glorified. Build your church. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we offer this prayer with thanksgiving. Amen. Amen. At this time, let us turn our Bibles to the book of Hebrews. I have been preaching through many months from the book of Hebrews. It is one of the uh, solid books in the Holy Bible which speaks so much about the heart of God. And uh, we have listened to all the 10 sermons, not 11 sermons, and today we are launching into chapter 12. And uh, we have a great words of encouragement, exhortation that we see in this word. I'm reading from Hebrews chapter 12 and covering verses 3 this Sunday. Shall we all read this together as we open our Bibles? Let us all uh, fix our eyes upon the words and uh, hear what the Lord has for us today. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. As I often told you that, the book of Hebrews is filled with warnings and at the same time, encouragement. We see some passages uh, really warn and exhort, strong words. But in other passages we see that speaks about encouragement, uplifting our souls. And today we come to such passage as encouragement, speaking to us about how we must live a life of resilience. And I believe that many of the people today are not familiar with the word resilience. Are you familiar with the word resilience? How many of you are familiar with the word resilience? Or heard from it for the first time from me? 
I didn't coin it. It's an old word. And I was thinking about uh, what is resilience. And since my whole message is based on this word resilience, it is important that we have an objective understanding of what this word means. And all of us need this attitude, disposition in living our Christian life. If there is no resilience, we cannot prevail in this world. Our life will be miserable if there is no resilience in our Christian faith. And as I was thinking about it, and as I was studying about what is resilience and how to describe it, I got a beautiful description from God Questions. And this is how God Questions describes what resilience is. How can carefully treasure the concept of what it means. Resilience is a quality of being able to adapt to stressful life changes and bouncing back from hardship. I love the way it is described. It is adapting yourself. That is, you adjust your life to the stressful, difficult situations. And then you bounce back. That is, you go through it and again come to Stable, emotional, mental state. And you will not become a victim of hardship. And uh, they go on describing, resilience is a response through tragedy, crisis, or other life-altering changes that allows us to move on despite the loss. Resilience is the human heart's ability to suffer greatly. And grow from it. I love that. Here again. Resilience is the human heart's ability to suffer greatly and grow from it. When people refuse to give up, even after misfortune, hardship, difficulty, they are being resilient. How many of you do you find people around you who are resilient? It's not about skillful, knowledgeable, passionate, emotional. It is about being resilient. How many of us think when you examine yourself as you sit here and listen to these words, how many of you think that you are a man or a woman of resilience? Do you have the spirit of resilience? Adapting ourselves to difficult, challenging times, bouncing back, and living a stable life, growing in suffering, maturing in hardships, not letting situations and people to control your life, but you rise, prevail by the grace of the living God. I think you all have watched the uh, 2023 World Cup, which was one of the exciting World Cups that we have seen. India has played the best to its ability, right? From all the 11 matches that India played, it prevailed over all the 10 matches. And all of us thought that this time India is going to get the cup. It has become invincible. Nobody could conquer. Nobody could defeat all the 10 matches. And finally, the World Cup, the final match came. And then they lost the cup to Australia. And I've seen after the match and I was watching the television to the disappointment of many Indians, but still there was uh, uh, still going on 
there was hustle and bustle and then i have seen sachin especially coming to each one of the player and greeting them i didn't hear the words but i could i could sense that he might be encouraging and then it came into the news of what he spoke and these are the words that he spoke to the team i can imagine the agony of the players fans and well wishers and what they must be going through because he himself had gone through such times many times losses are a part of the sport but let us remember that this unit gave their all for us throughout the tournament he was encouraging them to persevere not to give up and he was encouraging the indians not to look down at them because of the defeat but see how best they did till the end even though they failed and i see that this is what the author of hebrews is trying to do to his readers 2000 years ago he was showing the hallmark of faith warriors heroes of faith how these people have gone through tough time themselves and if you read this passage especially this hebrews chapter 12 from verses 1 to 3 it is filled with athletic imagery athletic imagery let us see this it says in hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 therefore since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses now we know that i often told you in the past that the condition of the recipients of this letter is that they have been uh, converted by the grace of god they have understood that jesus died for them and he rose from the dead they repented of their sins and they believed in the lord jesus christ and because of their new found faith in christ they were facing opposition from their family from their friends from their from their relatives and also from the community and they were shaken in their faith to return back to their old faiths and the author was trying his best to encourage them to persevere and not give up because of trials and temptations and you see how he begins over here he says the word he uses the word therefore what is it that we have learned in bible interpretation when you see the word therefore in most cases when the word therefore is used it is used in light of what was said before in light of what was said before what did he say before in the 11th chapter he speaks about the heroes of faith how this people have gone through hard times and how they were strong in their faith therefore in light of what was said before therefore in light of these heroes of faith what did he say he says that we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness you know it doesn't say uh, a few people cloud speaks about density mass of people we are surrounded we are not alone who are going through this difficult time we are not the only ones who are having suffering and temptations and hardness of life we are surrounded by great cloud of witnesses if you remember in the 11th chapter who could be those cloud of witnesses who are those people beginning from abel abraham noah joseph isaac jacob enoch david rahab sarah 
So many heroes and heroines of faith that we see in chapter 11. So he's speaking about that in light of these many witnesses who are surrounded us. And not only this, people that are mentioned in chapter 11. Think about the cloud of witnesses in the church history. Who could be those people? Think about Augustine, Martin Luther, John Calvin, Jonathan Edwards, John Wesley, Charles Wesley, Charles Spurgeon. All these men and even women in the church history who have lived their Christian life in a mighty way despite trials and temptations. And you know what he says? He says that we are surrounded by them. And you know what are they doing? They are cheering us. They are encouraging us. Saying that man, woman, brother, sister, we know what it meant to live a life of faith in this world. We know what it is to go through temptation. We know what it is to go through trials. We know that. And therefore, they are cheering us. What are they cheering us? They are cheering us to press on, press on, press on, persevere, don't give up. You know, when a cricket or any, any, any game is played, there are audience who sit and they cheer us, right? They keep cheering us and uh, when, when, whenever the bat is taken or the ball is being thrown, there is a huge cheering and shouting in the crowd, encouraging people. But you know what's the difference between them and the people here? You know what's the difference? Yes, the audience, audience are spectators in the ground. They never, it's easy to say that he just missed a six man. It's easy to say that he didn't throw the ball well. Do you know what it is to throw ball well? <laughs> we don't know. We just sit there and keep criticizing, commenting that he didn't throw the ball well, he didn't hit the bat well, and didn't catch the ball well. We do all these criticisms without ever knowing what it is to play cricket. But these people are not like that. They were not just spectators and audience cheering these people saying, hey, come on, press on, you can go. They experienced it. They knew what it is to experience pain, trials, temptations. And as they have experienced it, and they are cheering us to keep going. Now, when I look into this passage, there are three exhortations that I have seen in this passage which is very encouraging for us to consider because we need that. We all agree. Is there anyone who can say that? I, am, I have no pain in my life. My life is easy, cozy, filled with comforts. Can someone give me pain? It's so easy to live in this world. Anyone here who could say that? No one. Maybe the little children whom parents are really caring, they are the only ones who can say that, right? Because they have no idea, no consciousness of what it is. Or maybe they are going through some pain that we don't know. And this is what we see. The author of Hebrews is giving encouragement to us from this passage. And let our hearts be encouraged to persevere in faith. He says in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, since there are people who have gone before us and have gone through hard times and persevered in their faith till the end. Now, what is the exhortation here? What is the exhortation? Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so easily. Now, we should be careful when we hear these words, let us also lay aside. Let us, 
Now when Joy or Joe or John sings, they say, let us sing. So we just see it as something invitation. Now in Greek, this is not a mere invitation. It's a command. When it says here that, let us lay a sign, which means it's an exhortation you have to do. Now here is one thing that I want to tell you. I was telling someone yesterday that, you know, there is a substitutionary sacrifice. That is, Christ has died for our sins on the cross. But when we encourage people and when it comes to sanctification, there is no such thing as substitutionary sanctification. You know what it means, substitutionary sanctification? You don't obey, I will obey for you. <laughs> you don't press on, I will press on for you. You don't do anything, I will do for you. Nothing works if you do not work. Nothing happens. You have to do your own obedience. Nobody can do for you. And if you don't obey, you will not grow. You will not persevere. It is important that we obey. And it says here that let us lay aside every weight. Why is he using the word weight here? He says that let us also lay aside every weight. In New Living Translation it says strip off every weight. You know as I was reading this I have learned that in Greek athletic practice. The athletes on the race they would compete and clothes. They are so afraid that the cloth that they wear would become weighty and that will pull them back from running the race efficiently. So they would run the race and clothes so that they would not wear anything that hinders them from winning the race. And the author seems to be using this kind of view in encouraging the readers and believers here saying that let us lay aside every weight. Now hear this carefully. A weight is something that pulls you down. He's not using weight in a positive sense. Now we people go to gym. We lift weight to build our muscles. In, in that positive sense, he is not using it. He is using it in a negative sense that a weight that pulls you back and hinders you and not let you grow and progress. Now hear carefully, my dear brothers and sisters. When the author says here, let us lay aside every weight, it is your choice to lay aside that weight. Weights will be there. Hindrances will be there. Temptations will be there. Sufferings will be there. Life is not easy. But it is your choice whether you will lay them aside or let them crush you under its burden. It is your choice. What you do with it. And the author says here, along with every weight, he also says, and sin which clings so easily. What is the nature of sin that we observe here? What does it say? It clings so easily. It easily entangles us. Be careful, brothers and sisters. The weights that surround you are very powerful. The sin that you fight with is very clever and its nature is very entangling. You cannot be light in our fight against sin. What are the sins or weights that are pulling us down? Think about it, brothers and sisters. What is it that is pulling you down from progressing in your faith? What is it that not letting you to grow, 
not letting you to come to Christ, not letting you to grow in Christ, what are those things that are hindering you? Now hear carefully, don't blame them. He's not telling that, you know, they, they do that, so that is why you are like this. No, he says you put aside. You have the ability by the grace of God, Christ has died for our obedience. Christ has died to equip us on the cross. So we can lay aside. We can resist. We have the power to overcome them. We are not important. We are not helpless. We are not left to ourselves. This divine power has given us all things to fight. 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 Are you fighting? Or are you letting those weights and sins prevail against us? Think about for some of us, it could be lust, sensuality that is pulling us down and not letting us to grow and enjoy the Christian living. For some of us, it could be anxiety, worried about so many things in this world and you are not able to focus on Christ, not able to build your life. For some of us, it could be pride. For some, it could be laziness that is pulling them down and not letting them to grow and prevail. For some of us, it could be anger and bitterness. And for some of us, distractions. For some, discouragement. You know what is discouragement? Killing the courage in a person. There is no enthusiasm, no guts to go ahead. Discouraged in life. For some of us, it could be jealousy. Envious of others or fear. Always fearing about what would happen in the future. That you are not able to grow and progress. For some of us, it could be greed or rebellion. Now, one thing that I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, we should examine our hearts carefully and we should do something about it. We cannot take it for granted because those sins and weights pull you down, hinder you from growing, and you must fight. You know, one thing that I like about the book of Hebrews, it teaches us to fight. These are for fighters. Cowards cannot overcome, but fighters take it and prevail. And it's not just the apparent sin. Sometimes the seemingly good things can really hinder your growth and productivity in your Christian faith. What are some seemingly good things that you think could hinder a person? Food, too much food, binge eating, too much sleep. Is sleep good? Good. Sleep too much? Gone. Work? Very good. Overwork. Work is good. But you are working too much that you are crushed by the work that you do. Too much fellowship. I agree, brother. Too much being with people and not with God. It drains you out. It keeps you empty. Gadgets. Think about, brothers, not only the apparent sins, but the seemingly good things. What is it that is hindering us? We should really think about it. I love what 17th century Puritan theologian John Owen says. He says that be killing sin or it will be killing you. There is no neutrality. You either kill sin or sin will kill you. You either kill this weight that is pulling you down or that weight will kill you and not let you progress. So the exhortation here is, think about brothers, think, think, think. I love what Socrates uh, said that. I remember that vaguely. He said that a life not examined is not worth living. Examine yourself. Why am I not growing? 
Why am I not progressing? Why am I not maturing? Why am I not bearing fruit? What are the hindrances in my life? The Bible says, put that aside. Strip them off. Be merciless, brothers and sisters. Are you understanding? Be merciless. Don't show mercy to sins. It is merciless towards you. Don't show mercy towards the distractions and that which pulls you down. They are mercilessly pulling you down. Think about it and put them aside. Fight against it and press on. And then the Hebrews, uh, the author of Hebrews says after mentioning that, there is another thing. You put aside, it's not just putting aside that matters. There is another thing also that we have to do. In 12 verse 1, he says here that, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which king slow easily. And now you see what is the second exhortation. What does it say? Let us run. It doesn't say let us walk. <laughs> it doesn't say that you just stay down, you'll automatically run. No, it says let us run. And with what kind of attitude you need to run? Endurance. Very good. It says let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now when the Bible says that run with endurance your Christian life, what does it speak? It says that Christian life is hard. Generally, life is hard. You don't have to be a Christian to say that, oh, life is hard. Whether you are a Christian or a non-Christian, life is hard. And to be a Christian is even harder. But grace of God is there to sustain us. The spirit of God is there to empower us and encourage us. But the fact that we need to accept it, brothers and sisters, is that life is hard. We don't need endurance if life is easy. The fact that the Bible speaks about run with endurance speaks about that life is hard. And what happens generally when people go through hard times? What is the tendency of people when they grow through hard times? They slow down. They slow down, isn't it? When everything goes well, they are happy, they are excited. But when life is hard, they slow down. And that's why the Bible says that do not slow down when your life is hard. Run, run, run with endurance. Don't let anything slow down. Because the race is only as long as you are here in this world. You won't be running eternally. It's only for a while. There is something that I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, when the Bible says run with endurance, that's what is resilience. The Bible doesn't say that resilience doesn't mean you will not fall. Does it mean you will never fall? No. You can be a man or a woman of uh, resilience and still you may fall. Resilience doesn't mean you will not become weak. You can become weak. Resilience doesn't mean you will be unhurt. You will be, uh, you will be hurt in your race. But you know what it means? It means you will not give up in your weakness. It means you will not give up in your failure. It means you will not give up when you are hurt. It means you are not give up when you are pressed down. You will rise up and keep bouncing back to normalcy and keep pressing forward. Now that's what it means to live a life of resilience. I love what William Lane the Bible commentator of Hebrews says, you know what he says? The exhortation to run with endurance identifies the race not as a contest of speed, 
but of stamina. Did you get it? It's not about how fast you are running. It's not a contest of speed. Who will come first? It's not about who will come first. It is about those who build resilience, stamina. That is, you will run till the end. Even if you are late, that's fine. But you run till the end without giving up. This speaks about a distance race requiring disciplined commitment and endurance. So brothers and sisters, if anyone is here slowing down, God is speaking to you. My child, rise up. Don't slow down. Don't slow down. Don't be passive. Don't be lazy. Don't let anything pull you down. Don't let any sin rule over you. Rise up and run your race with endurance. And you know, the third exhortation that we see here is how to run your life of race. How to run. The first is lay aside hindrances. The second is run with endurance. And the third we see he exhorts here to focus on Christ. To focus on Christ. Shall we read verse 2? How to run our race. Shall we read this together? Looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now again we see here that how the runner runs the race, how the athlete runs on the field. Now we again see the language of the runner. Where would the runner's focus be when he runs? The goal that is set before him, isn't it? What if he turns back? While he runs, what if he turns back? He will be away from the goal. He will slow down. Some of us turn back and look into our past so much that we don't focus on the goal. And that may be slowing us down. We all have bad past, right? Is there anyone here who can say that my past is glorious? Maybe for some people. My past is not glorious, honestly. When I look at the past, there are a lot of regrets. But that doesn't matter in the law. I have to put aside what is behind and I need to stay focused in the little short time that I have and finish the race. What if the person looks aside while he runs? You will be distracted. Very good. You will be distracted. Look at how people are. Look at your neighbor. Look at your others. Oh, this person is like this. That person is like this. Situation is like this. Gone. The only goal that you have to focus is who? What does it say here? It says here, looking to Jesus. Now, this word is not a simple word when it says looking to Jesus. It means pay careful attention to. It means keep your utmost focus on. It means fix your thoughts and deep contemplation on Christ. Now, here is a thing that I have never seen, brothers and sisters, as I was preparing this sermon, this has ministered to my heart so much because I saw that this is where I am failing. You know what? In encouraging here to lay aside every weight and then the sin which clings so closely and you see the participle here. You know what is the participle there? Looking to Jesus. Or looking Jesus. It's a participle which means that as you lay aside... And as you put aside sin and wait, you must focus on Christ. Now, there are two things that I've observed when I saw this. You know, what is that? The focus is not on weights. 
The focus is not on sin. You know what is a dangerous thing when you fight against sins? Your whole focus will be on sin. And that is what I did. I was focusing on sin. I have to overcome this. I have to fight against it. And my whole focus, and that's one of the deceptions of sin, that to get all my attention to itself, and then the weaker I become, and not able to conquer it. I realized that, man, in your fight against sin, you should not focus on sin. In your fight against hard times, you should not focus on hard times. Your focus should be on Christ. Because it is by looking to Christ that you receive strength, not by looking away from sin. Sin is not the focus of a Christian. We only deal with sin because it hinders us. It is focus, focus on Christ. So what I would like to encourage you, brothers and sisters, fight against every weight. Fight against every distraction. Fight against every sin. But how should you do? By focusing on Jesus. Will you repeat with me? I will fight against sin by focusing on Christ. And you know what is another thing that is very encouraging to me? Although he said that therefore since we are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses, the heroes of faith, the spiritual giants, you know what he encourages here? Even the clouds of witnesses are not our focus. You understand that? The cloud of witnesses. Abraham is not our focus. David is not our focus. Noah is not our focus. Sometimes people flatter and idolize the men of God. Oh, this preacher or that preacher, John Piper or this. And they make them idols more than Christ. Even the author of Hebrews is very clear. Although he brought some encouragement from them, he encouraged them. Your focus is not these people. It is Christ, Christ, and Christ alone. People, it is good that we are benefited from some men and women of God. But there is a caution. If you make them your focus, you're gone. You're gone. You cannot run your race. So when, you know, when, when I heard about uh, what happened to Rabbi Zikras, and uh, honestly, I was not shaken. I was grieved. I was surprised. But I was not shaken. But had this happened a few years ago, I might have been I have known some people who have been shaken, shattered in their faith because of him. Why? The focus is not Christ. The focus is this. And I'm telling you, some of your great heroes may fall someday. And you should not be shaken because your focus is Christ, Christ and Christ alone. So how is Christ described? He, the Bible doesn't say that. Just focus on Christ. Why should you focus on Christ? This is the reason. What does it say? The founder and perfecter of our faith. Now I was, I was wrestling a lot with this text to understand what is the meaning the founder or the author and perfecter of our faith. I couldn't understand how could Jesus be the founder. What does it mean founder? Did he start faith? Perfecter. How, what does it mean perfecter? And actually in Greek there is no our here. The translators have added our for our readability. So as I wrestle with this text to understand, finally I was convinced with this interpretation which sounds true within the context. Brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, when you read the Bible, if you don't wrestle, there is a great possibility that you're not reading with obedience and understanding. 
It's important that we read with understanding. What is it? William Lane says that the champion, it means that the founder and perfecter of our faith is that he's the champion in the exercise of faith and the one who brought faith to complete expression. I will explain this within the context itself. Why I believe this is the most plausible interpretation. He says that he's a champion in how to exercise faith. He is the author in how to exercise faith. And also, he's the one who's shown to us how to persevere in faith till the end and gave faith the complete expression. And immediately, he gives the example of how he did that. In verse 2, follow me carefully as I explained to you. Looking to Jesus, keep looking to Christ in your fight against sin. And who is this one? He is the one who exercises faith. A good example of how to exercise your faith and how to persevere till the end. The founder and perfecter of our faith. How did he do that? Now the first example is what it gives. What is founder? Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame. He is the champion in how to exercise faith that he endured. What is faith about? What is faith? Faith is especially, especially endurance. Now he endured. If you want to know a man who endured, look Jesus. And what did he do at the end? He completed the faith. He fought a good fight of faith. He expressed his faith completely. How? He endured, despising the shame. And finally, what happened? He is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Do you see Christ here? A perfect example of faith. And therefore, he encourages us. Therefore, since Christ has himself gone through hard times, since Christ has himself endured the cross, despising the shame, and finally finished his race, it is finished, he said. Since he is such a great model and example to us, the Bible tells us, keep looking to Jesus. Keep looking to Jesus. Now, look into this verse 1 and 2, the question that I am asking. What is the command given to us about how to run? How should we run? Run with endurance. The author and perfecter. Is Christ a model of our endurance? Where do you see that? Run with endurance because because Christ himself endured the cross. Jesus didn't go through an easy life and told, come and follow me. He himself has endured the cross. He knows, brothers and sisters, you know one of the reasons why he became human? To taste pain for us. To taste pain for us. Now hear this carefully. He not only became a human to taste pain for us, but to teach endurance to us. Out of that pain. And you know another command here that we have seen here. What is the command that we have got here? Run with endurance. And before that, what is that that we have to lay aside? Every weight and every? What did Christ himself do as an example for us? Despising the shame. He himself has laid aside the shame. When I was preparing this, I read an incident. This happens to many people. A 13-year-old girl committed suicide. You know why? Because her father, in order to punish her, took the video cutting the hair to humiliate her and saying that this is how I would punish if you do this mistake. It was a mistake that she has done and the father has taken the video. He didn't post anywhere. He just did that. Although it is not a good thing. 
but the girl felt so humiliated and she committed suicide what if some of you people who are committing wrong and before all of us and i'll come i'll call you and say that hey josh come here hey uh, britney come here stand over here do these people and i humiliate you before you all what would you do that would be the last sunday of ecclesia evangelical fellowship we can't bear shame people isn't it humiliation is something that hurts our ego like anything but you know what it means to go through the cross we casually read that you know what a gruesome public humiliation christ has gone through he was sitting around the group and the group was mocking at him what did they do they were pulling his hair they were beating on his face and you are a prophet they blinded his eyes come on tell me who is beating you can you understand what it means to sit in the midst of the group beating you punching on your face humiliating you we don't know what it is people think about flogging publicly flogging if i call joe is my son and hit him right on your right on his face all before you his his, his his consciousness will not be that he got pain from me if i did that in private he would not mind but if i do that publicly he would leave my house but here is christ they he was flogged publicly people surrounded him like the audience and looking at him and he was beaten and flogged and much more worse he was made to take the cross through the streets of jerusalem imagine if your head is shaved and you're pulled through the streets hey look at this man this is a mistake he has done how would you feel you would die the same day i would commit the same day suicide but this christ publicly he was humiliated brutally tortured and he carried the cross and before the whole jerusalem people think about you know on a hill what do you think it's not a romantic place on a hill means all the people in the city could look at him and they didn't look at him as a hero who died on the cross they looked at him as a criminal only a few people understood why he went to the cross but most of the people saw and they were mocking they were jeering at him because he is a criminal imagine this son of god on the cross where all the people were looking at him humiliated so don't read these words lightly brothers and sisters he despised the shame we can't even despise the shame when we preach the gospel we think about what people think about us we are so egotistic about our dignity when we preach the gospel but here is the one who died publicly humiliated on the cross for our sins the bible says look at him look at this one who endured such shame for you can't you fight against sin and the weight that is pulling you down is what the encouragement that the bible gives here but why did he do that it says here in verse 2 why shall we all read this together who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of god why did he endure such a cross such shame why did he despise it why observe the word here who for what for the joy you know almost every sin that we commit you know why we do that for cheap joys for temporal joys because it gives some some pleasures but christ was focused on eternal pleasure that never fades away he says that you know why christ died on the cross for joy he he died because there is a joy in dying for sinners what is the joy that he got you know it says at the end 
His joy was to be seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Brothers, hear this carefully. Look at me. Only when you and I know the infinite value of who God is, would we be willing to sacrifice anything for him? Are you understanding? Only when you know and I know the infinite value of who God is, would we be able to sacrifice, die, anything for him? Because you know that God is so infinitely pleasurable, infinite being, that being with him is so far more important than suffering and enjoying the pleasures of the world. Christ died so that he would be with the Father and enjoy his presence. You know, the Bible describes that if there is one thing Christ, Christ loves, you know what is that? Being with the Father. In the beginning was the Word. Where was the Word? Do you understand what it means with the Word? That is where Christ delighted. And you know what he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane in John chapter 17? Father, glorify me with the glory that I had with you. I want to sit with you. And if you look at the gospel that Paul, that Peter preached in Acts chapter 2, you know what did he remind him of? Remind the people of when he preached the gospel in Acts chapter 2? He, he took their attention to Psalm 16. And you know what he said? Uh, let me read this for you in verse 25. Please turn your Bibles quickly to Acts chapter 2 verse 25. Acts chapter 2 verse 25. Now see what it says over here. Acts chapter 2 verse 25. For David says concerning him, it speaks about David says concerning Christ. I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. This is about him. This is about Christ. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades and let your holy one see corruption. Speaking about Christ. That he will be resurrected. Now you see verse 28, brothers and sisters. Please fix your eyes on that. You know what it says? You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. That was a joy Christ craved. Brothers, the joy that we are going to enjoy there is nothing. I'm, I'm, I'm infinitely greater than the minute pain that you endure here. The joy that we are going to have eternally is infinitely greater than the cheap pleasures that we are seeking over here. These are nothing compared to the glorious joy that we have. The Bible doesn't just say that Christ has died for joy. He also said that this joy is also set before us. Do you know that? Do you think of any scripture that says that there is joy that is set before us, therefore suffer? Anyone who is a good Bible knowledgeable person here. There is a joy that is set before us. There is glory that is set before us. Therefore suffer. Peter, very good. Where in Gospels? Peter is, are you talking about the Peter of the Gospels or Peter of the first Peter, Peter of the second Peter? But Peter. One Peter, very good. Five chapters. You know what it says? One Peter chapter five, good for you. Verse 10. Please turn your Bibles and memorize this if possible. Brothers and sisters, it encourages you a lot. 5 verse 10. Shall we read this together? And after, Pete, and after you have suffered, after you have suffered how long? It is better to suffer a little while here than suffer eternally in hell. 
There are some people who reject God because of the little suffering and embrace eternal suffering in hell. But the Bible says here that after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to where? To his eternal, whose glory it is? To his eternal glory, eternal joy in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and only if you have repented of your sin and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, what would you get? Eternal glory. And Christ has endured the cross for the joy. Can't we endure the cross here, brothers and sisters? Can't we deny ourselves for the glory that is before us? Can't we take up the cross every day for the glory that is before us? And not only for the joy, it also says in verse 3, what is it saying? In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3, finally as we come to this verse, what else did he say? It says that, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. Why? Why did he endure such hostility? The Bible teaches that believe in Christ, look to Christ because he died so that you would not grow weary and faint-hearted in your suffering. Bible says life is suffering. Life is challenging. And you have to be strong. Why? Christ has endured such hostility from sinners to set an example for you. Or maybe this is how I was thinking about it. Christ might be saying to us, you know what he might be saying to us? When you suffer from people despising you, consider me enduring shame for your sake. When you suffer from going through the silence of God, consider me being abandoned by my father for your sake. When you suffer from physical pain, consider the excruciating pain I underwent on the cross for your sake. When you lose your heart due to the fear of suffering, consider my Gethsemane prayer. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. My child, do not grow weary, nor be discouraged. Fight a good fight of faith and join me in my eternal kingdom. Press on eagerly, waiting for you. Imagine when Christ is saying to us, press on, I'm eagerly waiting for you. The time when you come home, I'm there stretching my arms and hugging you and kissing you and allowing you to dwell in my eternal joy. What a great Good news it is. But, dear brothers and sisters, we still have to fight till then. I want to just close with uh, one observation here. You know what is one observation? This is why I believe Christians are not strong. We put a lot of things. This is why I believe Christians are not resilient. You know why? The Christian life is a life of resilience. By continuously preaching the gospel of Christ to their souls. You know what is the author doing here? Is he preaching the gospel here? Is he preaching the gospel? Where do you see the gospel here? Just look at it. Verse 2 and 3. Where is the gospel here? He endured the cross. He suffered on the cross for us. He despised the shame. And where else do you see the cross? Twice he endured. It says that he endured the cross. He endured from sinners such hostility. He endured. What is he doing here? Preaching the gospel to believers. 
We think that the gospel is for unbelievers. No, dear brothers and sisters, gospel is definitely for unbelievers. Unbelievers should hear that they are lost in sin. Christ died for their sin and Christ rose from the dead. And they have to repent and believe in Christ to be saved. That is important. But it is also true that if you and I want to live a steadfast Christian life, we need to preach the gospel to our souls every day. When you think that this is too much pain, what should you think about? Cross. Have you gone through the cross? Is your pain too much than the cross of Christ? If you are thinking this is too much for me to face the temptations, think about Christ. The temptation to give up. If this is possible, take this cup away from me. But still he fought it. Dear brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you. Look to the cross. Live your life at the foot of the cross. Do not cross the cross. That's where our hope is. That's where our strength is. And I'm telling you that in my fight against sin, when I turn my eyes away from sin and think about Christ, you died for my sin. There is no sin that you did not die for. I can conquer this sin because you died. When I say those, when I focus my mind and heart on the gospel, brothers and sisters, I can't express the strength I received to face the battle. Even in pain and sorrow, Lord, you endure the pain and suffering. What is the suffering that I'm going through, Lord? But you have gone through incredible suffering because you have suffered for my patience and endurance so that I would not grow weary and tired. Lord, give me the strength to fight a good fight of faith. There is one man who really focused on the gospel and who could say that. You know what he said? And that is Apostle Paul. He said, I have fought the good fight of faith. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is later for me the crown of righteousness. Why did he do that? Same thing what Paul is doing is what, what Christ has done. Who for the joy set before him? Paul is telling that I have fought a good fight. I'm near the end. I'm going to finish. Hence, there is later for me the crown of righteousness. That is the joy for which he fought which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on the day. And not only to me, hear this, brothers and sisters, and not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. Now, what does it mean? Not only to me, but every person who is longing for the crown of righteousness, who fight a good fight of faith, who endure the cross here on, on earth, who is waiting for the appearing of the Lord to take them to be with him forever and ever. Not merely lip service people who say that I believe in Christ, therefore I have the token to go to heaven. Not that mere lip service, but for those who really love the appearing of the Lord Jesus and endure and fight a good fight of faith here till the end. Even those people will receive this. I want to conclude with what John Piper says. Life is wasted. Life is wasted. If we do not grasp the glory of the cross... Cherish it for the treasure that it is and cleave to it as the highest price of every pleasure and the deepest comfort in every pain. Wow. What he says over here is that the cross speaks about two things. The highest price that God has paid for our pleasure, eternal joy. And it is the deepest comfort in every pain. He suffered so that we would not grow weary and tired. So I would like to encourage those who are anyone here 
who has not repented and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, or if anyone here who has been living a nominal Christian life, I encourage you, you can only live this way if you are born of God, repent of your sins, believe in Christ who died for your sin and rose from the dead. He can give you the strength to persevere till the end. And all the believers here rejoice, not because of the pain, not because of the temptations, because Christ himself has died for us, endured the cross and rose from the dead. And we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses who are encouraging us, press on, press on, press on in the difficult times that you are going through because there is eternal glory awaiting for us. Until then, persevere till the end. Let's pray. Yes, O Lord, in this world of distractions, in this world where we are weary, faint-hearted, anxious, even fouling in sin and pressed down, pulled down by weight of suffering. Thank you for encouraging us a lot this morning from your word. That Jesus is our perfecter and founder of faith. Who endured such hostility from sinners. Who endured the cross. Who despised the shame. Who died for our sin and rose from the dead. And is seated at the right hand of God. And one day it will be true of us. That after we suffer a little while, we will enter into our eternal glory. And until then, O oh Lord, you have encouraged us this morning to fight, fight, fight. Not give up, not be discouraged, not give up because of the sin that is troubling us, not give up because of the suffering that we go through. Jesus is victorious on the cross. And because of his victory, we are victors. We thank you, Lord, and we pray that you help us to press on. Run with endurance. Lay aside every sin. Examine our hearts and look to Christ and Christ alone, not to sin, not to any man, not to any people, but Christ and Christ crucified because he is our only hope and strength. And we eagerly look forward to seeing him soon. Give us your grace, O Lord, to fight a good fight of faith. Help us to fight till the end. Persevere till the end. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to our hearts this morning. May we be broken, humble, contrite, and tremble at the word you have given to us this morning. In the name of our Lord Jesus, we pray with thanksgiving. Amen. 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 Thank you for listening to the message. We believe you have been greatly encouraged in your heart. Stephen David also writes articles that are relevant to today's generation. You may read them on his blog www.messageforourage.blogspot.com I repeat www.messageforourage.blogspot.com you may also email him at cstephendavid at gmail.com. I repeat, c-s-t-e-p-h-e-n-d-a-v-i-d at g-m-a-i-l dot c-o-m. Grace and peace be to you.